Eric. Matthew. Would you love me if I was a worm? <laughs> I saw this meme the other day that was a... Uh, <laughs> it was like a gummy worm that someone attached to a twig and took like a really nice photo of. And the caption was like me as a supportive boyfriend to the worm. <laughs> Well, it's funny we're talking about worms, actually, because I was going to do a big old intro to this episode uh, by doing some research and giving us some fun science information about tapeworms and other things like that. And I got about uh, four minutes into one YouTube video uh, and and got so worried that I was filled with parasites that I immediately stopped, and that was the end of my, my ambitious intro to this episode. <laughs> Barely one like paragraph into a a this is this is what it's like when when you have a parasite. And I went, mm, nope, I have seven hundred of them. I'm out. Can't watch any more of these YouTube videos. Well, anyway, we're about to talk about a scary book. Cue the music. there scouts and worms welcome to the devil's cut a podcast all about the media that goes bump in the night if it's scary spooky or spine tingling we're here to talk about it i'm matt young and i'm here as always with my wonderful co-host eric rossi uh how are we doing today eric you got worms worm- no worms worm free luckily um uh, worm- well you I- never know no you can know there are ways to know <laughs> <laughs> there are doctors who will tell you if you worm free or not. All right. Well, I mine hasn't told me, so I'm you know. Next time, I'm just, just go in bets. there. Be like, hey, find, figure out my weight, my height. You know, like they do. They put the little pencil worm mark count. and worm count. Yeah. Yeah. Give me an accurate count because you know worm what? saturation. Point, I, you know what? I I go to the doctor so infrequently at this point. You know, they've made a home. They probably got lives. They live like who am I to disturb them? Just want to know how many there are. Yeah, it's always it's always you got to make sure you have room for vacancy. <laughs> yeah, like I'm like you know I you know what I'm I'm a landlord of sorts maybe. No, they I have the potential. They tax to be. you. They tax you. <laughs> <laughs> it's the definition of a, a reverse, parasite. A reverse, a reverse <laughs> landlord. Is that what parasites are? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, they, all right. Well, I'm back against them. I would get a real job, a worms. Well, you know what? Because for for a little bit, I was able to picture them like the Richard Scary Worm, you know, like driving the little Apple car. So I kind of like <laughs> no. had some rose colored glasses for them for a bit. <laughs> uh, and that uh, I guess that is a uh, weird enough segue into uh, our topic for today. So this is going to be a different episode, listeners, than. Uh, any we've done before up until now we've mostly done movie reviews almost exclusively 
new movie reviews, like new releases, right? Have we done anything that's like a throwback movie? Uh, well, I guess we did do the, the survival um, episode and the Christmas episode were more the like survival a, horror episode and the Christmas. Yeah, they were like a jumble, but we, we're doing something that's not a movie for once. Yeah, we're doing something different. So I hope I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, today we are actually discussing a horror novel. One that I sort of just picked up on a whim. I was at a half-price bookstore, and I had heard of this author before, the author by the name of Nick Cutter, and I had read the brief synopsis of this novel, and I, so in the back of my mind, I was, I guess, sort of looking out for it whenever I would go, because I frequent uh, half-price bookstores quite frequently. Um, And so I just happened to, like, catch it like at the last second i was like moving through the horror section i saw it and i went oh this is like a pretty good copy and it was only like three bucks i think oh steel and i picked it a real a real steal real steel uh, not <laughs> to be confused with the hugh jackman movie <laughs> which is which is good but not what we're talking about but yeah so it, it is a a horror novel that i picked up on a whim and i uh aptly enough uh devoured it i i read this book faster than i would normally read any book uh because i just couldn't put it down i i from the first the second i opened it because i was already reading other books at the time and i was like nope this one is most important right now would you say that the book prompted an insatiable hunger from within uh weirdly enough yes it's almost like it was by design uh and then I, I recommended it to to Eric, and he too read it, and I, I assume <laughs> enjoyed it. You finished it, right? Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the book in question, if I haven't already mentioned it, is The Troop by author Nick Cutter. Um, and so I figure we should start. I have some a, a little bit of information about the author. Tell me about this sicko. Yeah, well, actually, so he, so Nick Cutter, it's actually the pen name of writer Craig Davidson. He's a Canadian author. He was born in 1975 in Toronto, Ontario. Ooh, Ontario. Yeah, Ontario. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, um, he actually has other published work. I couldn't find – I think it was, like, more, like, like when he was a lot younger because he actually started as a horror writer. His first published works were, were horror fiction. Um, I, I couldn't figure out or find out. Maybe if somebody who listens to this can uh, track it down better than I could. Um, no, no idea what he wrote or what he wrote it under. It was a different pen name. Um but he started out as a, a horror writer and then kind of like meandered his way over to more mainstream fiction. Um, I guess he would be – he's known for a, a novel called Rust and Bones, which is a, a short story anthology. Um, he was also known for – I think it was just called – it's called The Fight. Um, he's actually a like a amateur boxer as well. Yeah, I, I saw that he like – did some kind of boxing event to promote his boxing book and went on like a 16 week steroid cycle to beef up in yes, time. Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, pretty wild, right? Uh, and I did find an, an interview, like an article that had an interview with him. Uh, and basically, it was a lot of him talking about how he wanted to do that because he finds that in like our our modern society we like people don't really get pushed to their limits ever because everything is like designed for convenience 
comforts. Um, so this was like something he wanted to do to uh, really see what he was made of, I guess. Um, I and I believe he lost. I think he did two fights and he lost both of them. But you know, boxing. If you even if you like. J- just do a boxing match. I think that's a win because yeah, man, getting in that square is no joke. Are yeah, it's fucking crazy, man. I I could I could couldn't even imagine it. So, you know, props to him. Uh, and, and also like a pretty cool idea. I you know I I, I appreciate his commitment to the craft. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but yes, he actually and fun fact, he's also published under a different name. He has a, a like a third, possibly fourth pen name. It's Carmen um, San Diego, Pat- motherfucker. Yeah, Patrick Lastuca, which I think is not a great one. Sorry, Craig, <laughs> but uh, that that one not not my favorite. I'm, I hope you stick with Nick Cutter and Craig Davidson. You could probably let Patrick go. <laughs> Just let him let him go. He wrote his books. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he he's known for he's known under all his pen names for writing uh rust and bones uh the troop which is what we're talking about today also a, another horror novel called the deep and uh this, that's another nick cutter uh endeavor same with little heaven and i believe the one patrick lestuka book that is most well known or at least the one that stood out to me the most and i thought was a funny title was a book called mother bitch fight what a what a fucking title holy shit no, I, I I didn't have time to look into that particular story. I but I I'm interested. Title alone, so you know maybe Patrick can come back. We'll see. Uh, I'll I'll do we'll do an update on on whether or not Mother Bitch fight uh, is is worth checking out. I hope it's uh, about nuns, like Mother oh, Bitch fight, and not like Mother oh, Bitch fight, like a, <laughs> like, a, like a night like a nun fight club. Yeah, that yeah, I'm there. Nun Fight Club, that's a pitch. Like, we could break, we could take that to Hollywood right now. But yeah, so he uh, attended Trent University and the University of New Brunswick, all uh, both Canadian uh, universities. And aside from that, I mean, I wasn't able to dig up too much else about his life. I mean, you know, he was born, he grew up, he was interested in writing, uh, did a lot of short story work um, in his adolescence, you know, went went to uh, a couple universities, and he's he's had a pretty successful uh, writing career. I mean, he's able to go crazy with the pen names. Yeah, I mean, it, there's no you didn't dig up any worm based trauma in his past. No, I guess we should. So that's the history of Craig Davidson, Nick Cutter. Um, I guess we should get into the book itself. So this is the troop. Um, I don't have the exact release date. That's one thing I didn't. Right down. I, I believe, believe it's like 2014, 20, right? 2014, a 2014 release. What's the breakdown of the story? Spoiler free, Eric. I haven't read the back cover, but it would probably go something along the lines <laughs> of uh, a very small Canadian Boy Scout troop goes out to a island off the coast of their small town. An island off the coast of an island. Uh, they they go there for a survival retreat weekend with their one scoutmaster. And uh, once they arrive at the island, they uh, find that a shockingly thin man has washed ashore in a shitty little boat. And uh, things just get worse and worse and worse after that, really. Over the course of the book, the rest of the troop be also becomes very, very hungry. And and that is the like that's the that that's essentially what the back cover of the book says. I I read it, but I haven't read it recently. So, um, 
it's really all you need after after the first night it really just starts to suck you in and draw you in and you just need to know what happens yeah so how so let's just jump right into our feelings uh, of the novel how how do you feel about it what, what would you like give us your review your rating oh, it how was good it? it was real good because i feel bad i felt real bad the entire time <laughs> uh i felt real bad when i was done with it i felt bad for about a day thinking about it and that's a good thing uh i think it's a very good book it's very well written as far as like an adult man trying to write five separate individual boys i think it's a really difficult Mm -hmm. thing to try and like write dialogue as a child and there's you know i'm sure there's some kind of localization differences between like the way they talk but i think he did a pretty good job of encapsulating what it's like to be in that kind of setting Uh, I myself was a boy scout and I remember what it was like to be surrounded by a bunch of other kids that were and were not my friends and what that kind of group Mm. dynamic was like. And I, I definitely, you know, found myself identifying with different characters at different points throughout that dynamic. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. I think he does. I do. I think he does a really good job. I've, I read some reviews, um, both like professional reviews and like Goodreads kind of stuff, um, just like uh, you know, personal reviews from users, that type of site that mm-hmm. seem to have like a problem with the dialogue of the kids. But I, I don't know. I didn't find really much issue. I, I think a lot of the time, the dialogue didn't seem like something like maybe kids would actually like how kids would actually speak to each other like in real life but it definitely felt natural in the like if you you i feel like when you're reading books dialogue is always going to be like a little stilted unless you're like a absolute master at at, at like character interactions um yeah i mean it's it's, but but i felt like i I, there was never a point where i was like oh well this this is taking me out of the novel like it occasionally you'd have a line where i'm like well uh, (laughs) that sounds a little bit funny but like never enough for me to to hate it i think he actually does a very good job of characterizing the 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 kids in this book as well as the um the, the, the one or two adults uh, that we really interact with. And there are lots of other um, extra... Ooh, this is a fun word I learned today. Extra textual. Um, Ooh. It, 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 um, what are you studying for the SATs? What the fuck is yeah, that? Exactly. Yeah, look at that. So, um, so well, yeah, one one thing about the book is, is that it takes a, a lot of uh, f- formatting from Stephen King's uh, seminal book, Carrie. Ooh. It, it, it so basically yeah. the book I didn't realize uh, that yeah so the book takes place you know you, in real time you're interacting with the the kids on this island uh, and their scoutmaster but the chapters are kind of split up by having like sort of like interviews with um, military personnel uh, and like or or you know new news coverage things like that that take place well after the events of the book and they're sort of like spliced in to give you extra context like of what's happening none of the characters get any of that information but you do and it is the same thing that happens in Carrie you know you know cuz in Carrie you're following just this little this young girl at, <laughs> who's about to annihilate a whole town with her budding psychic abilities um 
but you know king would intersperse the chapters with like oh and remember that time that uh that one girl destroyed that whole town or like or like oh now we know so much about psychic abilities because of this one incident it's 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 like or like interviewing survivors and shit like that yeah I've read interviews with uh, Nick Cutter that, that like Carrie was a direct inspiration. The formatting of it, mm-hmm. and I think it's such a good it's such a good way to tell a story. This kind of story um, to give you to give the readers context, but to keep the characters like ignorant. I, I think it's just a very interesting way to write. And I'm like so surprised that like I haven't encountered more stories that are formatted that way. I'm sure there are plenty. I mean, it kind of makes sense. It's the same kind of thing of where, like, you're watching a horror movie and you know that there's a monster lurking around because you've seen the silhouette, you've seen the evidence, but, you know, the characters may not have the same vantage points that you do as the viewer. So you kind of get that tension built in as you're, like, moving from scene to scene because you're learning more about the background shit that they don't know about. And it, I think it's a really effective way to kind of mount fear. Definitely. As far as my feelings of the book go, I absolutely loved it. Like I said in the in, you know beginning, th- this book like hooked me right out of the gate. I-, I think there's just like it's Cutter does such a good job of of building like dread, you know, because I think I'd say that's like the 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 biggest like type of fear that this book gives you is just mm-hmm. this just like this overwhelming sense of dread because once shit starts to kick off in this you know as a reader you can't possibly see a way out of this situation for these kids and it's just you know what's coming and you get to watch as they all slowly start to realize and come to terms with it and it's just he just builds it up so well it's it's very 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 scary in a way that like i i usually don't get too afraid you know like actually scared when i'm reading like a uh, horror novel i've read like a number of king books at this point you know i've read carrie i've read the shining i've read a bunch of the short stories um working my th- way through the stand at the moment uh and i think the stand is actually probably the 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 closest thing to this because it's d- based it's a disease story or an yeah. illness story you know um so this was like that was like as close to this you know as as i've gotten with king's work um but yeah it 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 just really hit all the 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 things that I'm looking for in a scary book that I I didn't think I would necessarily like get to experience because I thought maybe like I was too far gone you know to I'm too uh jaded overexposed to overexposed it's exactly where <laughs> I was like, going I was like next. I'll never I'll never be I'll never be afraid of a book and this one like um, like it got me there it did make me like paranoid so um I I mean, it it certainly made me squirm. He does a really good job of accessing, like, the appropriate senses, like, in a scene. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, they uh, they talk a lot about, you know, the different textures of things and, like, the different smells and, like... Obviously, in in all writing, that's kind of what you need to do to draw people in and, like, get people in that space. So they can kind of suspend disbelief. But I I think he just does a really good job of pairing the exact, you know, sense experience 
to what the kids are going through. And he does a lot of uh, contextualizing what the kids are feeling based on previous experiences that the kids have gone through. Like he does a really good job of kind of setting up their backstories and their personalities and their own experiences to inform what's going on in the scene. Yes, I always, I loved any time that happened. It was, it was such a good way to build like empathy for the characters. Yeah, like throughout uh, a lot of their interactions, it, the, it'll be like a specific scenario and then a memory of one of the kids that informs you why the kid is going to react the way he does or why he reacted the way he did. Yeah, it's it's a great little uh, device that he that he ha- comes up with to to really make you understand and and identify with the characters. Uh, so yeah, so I guess we should like kind of like break down the characters a little bit. It's because it's pretty short. It's a pretty short list. Uh, yeah, you have um, you have the scoutmaster um, who is Doctor Tim Riggs. He's like the local MD. So the story takes place in Canada, specifically in um, uh, on an island um, that I I don't remember the name of exactly at the moment. It is a real island, though. I looked it up. It is yes. Um, but the uh, the characters all um, hail from this one island town, and they. So Tim Riggs is the like local, like general practitioner essentially. Uh, he like, and the book goes into how like he there, there's like really interesting little introduction uh, story about how he like didn't have he he admits to himself that he like didn't have the chops to become a um, like a, a big time surgeon or anything, and uh, so he just kind of settled for being like a, a a big fish in a small pond and moved to this island um and he just kind of is okay with it and he is, became a local scoutmaster and every year he takes his troop out to this island called Falstaff Island which is I don't think a real island um but it is fictionally off like uh, you know a few miles off the coast of uh the the main island and he has what is it five five kids uh, in his troop, which I don't know is that small. You're the uh, you're the scout ex scout. This whole scenario felt small to me. Like I did Boy Scouts from the time I was like in elementary school until I was like I think uh, they call it a first class scout. So I was like I want to say like towards the end of middle school. I don't remember the exact time period, but we had like a ton of kids. We had like a ton of kids and a ton of scoutmasters. There was like usually one head dude and then like a couple others. So it was kind of like interesting to see that, uh, you know, play out with such a small group, but also contain all of the like same dynamics that I was like used to. So, like, all of these characters, especially the kids, they kind of slot into their own little, like, you know, it's kind of stereotypical character for these situations. 
but they get fleshed out like really well into like individuals that I could recognize, but also felt unique. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Prince uh, Prince Edward Island is the name of the of the island. Thank you, Spooky Fiance. Uh, is the name of the island they come from, which is the real island. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we have, as far as characters go, we have uh, Scoutmaster Tim Riggs, and then. The five scouts themselves, we have Ephraim, who is sort of like the uh, resident bad boy, I guess you would say. He, he's, he's prone to fits of... of uh, fits, fits of rage. He's like to sneak off and smoke his cigarettes. Like a know. daredevil kind of kid. Yeah. We have um, Kent, who is like the, the, the jock. He's just like a kid who's developed very early. He's a big, tough boy. He's the cop's son, right? Uh, and and he and he's the he's the, yeah he's the local sheriff's son. So he's he's got some like uh, big tough guy energy going on. We have uh, Newton or Newt as he's named, and he is like the quintessential nerd. Uh, we have Max, who is sort of he is Ephraim's best friend, but he's sort of the kind of every kid. I would say he he doesn't have like one particular. Uh, um, trait that I like really defines him. He's sort of just like the the middle of the road kid. Uh, and then we have Shelly, who is the, the the resident creepy kid, the oh. one kid that like the one kid that like is is there, uh, but and everyone kind of like hangs out with him, but no one's gonna like go out of their way to invite him to stuff. He's the weirdo. He's the fucking weird kid. He's the kid that you go home and you tell your parents, you're like, hey, this kid's fucking bizarre. Well, I, you know, well, not, but not really, though, because you're too busy. The The reason why Shelly kind of skates by is because he joins in with the group in making fun of Newton, right? Because as long as there's that one kid that everybody can get behind making fun of, like, you can kind of b- blend in. Uh, I I mean I I personally I'd be flagging Shelly way before I flagged Newt. Like, granted, well, Newt's is, a big fat this nerd. This is modern. But like, this is modern, Eric. Yeah. No, even Scout back then, Eric. trust me, I had some real mutants in my fucking Boy Scout troop. <laughs> like to the point where we would go to like they call them jamborees, where you show up with other like Scout troops. Oh, I know and, about like, the every- jamborees. So yeah, you show up at one of these things, and I'm looking around. I'm like, all of those kids look like normal kids, and then I turn around, and half of mine are eating their own boogers. I'm like, what are we doing? Yeah, you got like you got like six Shellys hanging out behind you, and you're like, oh, I got a bunch of mutants, bunch of fire starters. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that those are the main those are the main kids, and then um, we have uh, I I I guess the next you know important character would be Tom Paget or the Hungry Man. And we don't know a lot about him, uh, but he is sort of the inciting character that really kicks off this book. Um, so, do we like at this point? Do we want to get into our uh, spoiler territory? I think we both recommend this book, right? I think this is a yeah, pretty good sure. read. It's a pretty fast read. I think it's like four hundred something pages. Yeah, depending on which, you know version of the book like if you're reading like you know the hardcover the mass market the regular old paperback but yeah it's a sh- it's a short read real quick and man will it hook you if you can get your hands on it you'll I, if you're listening to this podcast already you're into horror you'll like this book it is a 
very body horror forward oh, novel. Yeah. Big trigger um, warning for body horror. <laughs> like, well, huge. trigger warning for body horror, but even bigger trigger warning for animal abuse. Oh my uh, god! I think that I think honestly that might be the one thing that turns people off from this book more than anything else. <laughs> Is is an, is the animal abuse? Yeah, I have a friend reading this book currently, and they text me the other day. They're like, "Look, I couldn't. I had to skip past this part. It was rough." Yeah, which we will get to. Um, I would but say beyond beyond it's, it's that, a lot of animal, um, c- sort of clinical experimentation on animals, and it's not in, good. You're in, not going to like very it. Eric's gory not going to make it sound any better. <laughs> It's it's bad. So just you know, trigger warning for animal cruelty. Um, and if you really really can't handle body horror, uh, I, I'd say maybe avoid it. But go I home. don't even think the body horror is <laughs> you that can't bad. Go home. Go, yeah, just well, don't. also go home. But but also, I don't think the body horror stuff is that bad. It, it's it certainly makes you squirm. Uh, but. I I I don't think it's you know it's not like having to watch you know all. 36 saw movies you know it's not that kind of body horror <laughs> um but i you know just just keep that in mind but it is yeah. a huge it's not the glorious book but it is pretty gruesome yeah yeah definitely but yeah huge recommend from me i i'd say if you like to read you know scary books this one is definitely worth checking out barring you know whether or not you can handle certain things but um i'd say pick it up Eric, I believe, recommends it. Yeah, I, I would say just for me, this story was like quicksand. It was like, oh, okay, well, I'm in it, and I can't get out of it, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, I enjoyed myself throughout. I thought it was a very well-put-together story, but I, I, I'd I say if you can't handle dread, this is not, this is not it. <laughs> this is not it for you. All right. So, uh, with that being said, let's uh, hit the old transition noise and get on to our our spoiler part of this episode. Yes. So from here out, we're going to be speaking relatively in chronological order. We're not recapping the whole book like we do with the movies. Yeah, we're not going to do that to you guys. We're just going to. Otherwise, we'll be here. Well, it'll be our. It'll be the first ever. You know, like (laughs) thirteen-hour podcast. But with that in mind, cue the transition. So, into the spoilers. Um, and and before, one more thing before we get started on that. Um, so it's pretty safe to assume y- y- you can y- you yourself might have even compared this book to Lord of the Flies. I think anybody would, right? I I think it's the easiest one to one comparison. You have a group of. You know, young boys who are in a a survival situation stranded on an island. Right. Exactly. Um, And I actually have, like, a quote from uh, Nick Cutter when asked about comparisons uh, to Lord of the Flies. Um, And he does say, uh, you know, and this is a quote, It was a big influence and touchstone while writing, along with the Japanese novel Battle Royale and probably Hunger Games a little too. Along with Stephen King's (laughs) novella. Yeah. See? Along with Stephen King's novellas, The Body, The Ruins, and some other books. Now, I don't know if people who liked Lord of the Flies will dig the troop or potentially vice versa. 
that's a different question. I think publishers need a, need to sign post upcoming books for readers with if you liked X book, you got to try book Y. It's part of the business. So basically he's, you know, he's very aware that, that this comparison is being, but it's really the only way to sell stuff these days. It, it was certainly an inspiration, but I also found the Battle Royale thing. Yeah, that was interesting. interesting. Didn't expect that. Yeah, which is actually a novel that I do plan to read, which because I've only ever seen the movie, but um, I, I've always wanted to read the the, the novel of it uh, that it was based off of. So that that one's probably gonna be. You have fun. I'll be reading the manga. Uh, oh come on, the, you know the book is gonna be brutal, man. I'll I'll give you the cliff notes of the book when I read it. Um, but yeah, I thought that I just thought that was an interesting um, his how his inspiration. Uh, have you ever? watched the ruins I, I i also plan to read that book as well but the ruins is one of my favorite horror movies i don't believe so oh we uh that's gonna be a future uh not a, maybe not a future episode a but Google. you and me are gonna watch that one and we uh we can talk about it but um Ooh. but yeah so let's uh let's get on to the uh let's get on to the to the discussion of the book so the book sort of opens up with a what, which what I thought was really funny um, was the how it opens with the a, a like radio transmission of sort it's like sort of like a tabloid you know article about mm-hmm. this guy called um, uh, what do they call him it's like hungry they don't call him the hungry man they call him like starvin Marvin I think <laughs> they give him lots of names. All yeah, these different so, publications love to put their own little spin on the guys' nicknames. Yeah, so yeah, it, it is Starvin' Marvin. So they, um, it opens up with a, a little article that's like presumably published by a local tabloid um, from P- Prince Edward Island, and it's all about how uh, this waitress at like basically a Denny's, more or less, um, had to serve this like s- super skinny dude, and he ordered like. 70 grand slams and ate all of them and and just like and even that like wasn't enough like the waitress would come back and he'd be like munching on napkins you know like because he just couldn't get enough Uh, but but at the same time this dude was like gaunt he was like might as well be a fucking mummy right you know yeah uh and and the account it's just from it's just like an eyewitness account of like this waitress being like well yeah i had this guy and he just like, was crazy he was so skinny and he ate so many eggs and then <laughs> then that was it um and i just thought it was funny because like it, it, it's such a it was like a perfect tabloid article and what a great way to kick off the book this is what had me hooked i was like oh this book's funny like not only is like i trust that it will be scary but this guy's got like a good sense a good of humor, sense of humor about, yeah. about the genre too. Especially because like at the end of the article, it goes, "Hey, if you liked this article, you might enjoy." And I have it pulled up. You might enjoy cheeseburger kills space alien, Beelzebub captured by GIs in Iraq, Hellspawn <laughs> baby runs amok in Tepeo, and El Chupacabra drains toddler's blood in public park. Uh. <laughs> And it just was a throwback, too, because I used to collect um, all those. I had, like, a weird one of those ants that's not really an ant when I was a kid, and she used to always drop off weird New Jerseys for me. Nice. This is a good ant. And, yeah, good ant, not ant. She was great. <laughs> shout out shout out to Aunt Trudy. 
Uh, and she, uh, yeah, so like it just was like a real, I was like, oh man, throwback to my childhood of reading these stupid articles, like fucking about the Jersey Devil, like getting a part time job and shit like that. <laughs> I, I, I loved it. So yeah, I thought it was a really good way for him to open the story, just like a quick little article. And it also, it, it but it's, it, it's funny, but it is also, it makes you right away go like, well, what's going on with that guy? Because obviously it's it, we it's cut important. right away from that, you know, yeah. A, a brief little snippet of like the the hungry man, and he's like sailing to. So so like we said earlier, the the book takes place on this small island called Falstaff Island, but it's just like a tiny island off the coast of a different, much bigger island, which is Prince Edward Island, which is an actual place. So our like our main characters are all already there, and the scoutmaster's there with them. Um, and the 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 hungry man is like he I think he like has hijacked a boat or something, and he's like sailing his way there, and he sees like that there's light there um, from like the campfires or whatever. And I only am going over this like exact series of events because there's like a quote from the book that I'd like to dramatically read for Ooh, you a dramatic um, reading from yeah because there's a certain there, I, I think this I, I think there's this one this one part which i read to spooky fiance as like i had read it in the car as we were driving because we were on a road trip and mm-hmm. i was like this is this is so gross and good like this book's gonna be awesome and i read it aloud to her and i i think it just does such a good job of demonstrating what type of <laughs> horror you're in for in this book and so like this is uh the the hungry man in his hijacked boat like pulls up to the island and uh wash you know uh shores up the boat and so we'll pick up right from there so this is direct from the book <clears throat> setting night night falstaff island a storm is brewing off the coast that's not the book but that is what's happening um <laughs> here we go the man crawled up a stony beach, skidding on the water-smooth pebbles. The rocks were slick with cold, snot-like algae. He scooped it up and shoveled it into his mouth, sucking the dark green strings through his lips like a child slurping egg noodles. There, skittering along, its exoskeleton glossed in the moonlight, a sand crab. His hand closed over it, its ocean coldness wept into his flesh, and stuffed it between his lips. He felt it dancing along his tongue with its hairy little legs. He bit down. A gout of salty goo squirted into his mouth. Its pincer snipped the tip of his tongue in a death spasm, bringing the penny-bright taste of blood. He swallowed the twitching bits convulsively, the spiny exoskeleton tearing into the soft tissue of his throat, which felt so thin now, nothing but a fleshy drain pipe. The skin stretched tight as a crepe over his esophageal tube right like that is like it was immediately like oh this book gonna be icky yeah once he started out scooping the algae into his mouth i was like oh brother's down bad oh the the algae is is one thing but the the like cutting his own throat on like crab exoskeleton was like a whole other and it like <laughs> you know, like, ugh, man, it really like took it to another level. So yeah, basically, what we're dealing with here, since we're in spoiler territory, is this is dude a worm is time? like, no, not yet. 
Oh. Uh, this guy is so hungry that like whatever he's come down with, you know, he's he's so hungry that he will eat anything. There's even like a passage where he talks. He like thinks to himself about how he like passed while he was driving. He like passed some roadkill and he was like, oh, I'm not that hungry. And then like a minute later, he's like, fuck, I should have ate that raccoon. I had Columbus seal to eat <laughs> like, that raccoon now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, like, that's the type of hunger you're, you're dealing with in this book. Um, and so, I guess to speed it along, basically, the hungry man, what? Like, he shows up to the house. Um, Tim, the scoutmaster, like, kind of, like, is at first a little apprehensive about letting him in. But, like, he's also a doctor, right? So, he's, like, got sort yeah, of Yeah, he's this, torn um, by his Hippocratic oath. He's like, oh, right, there's it's kids the, in here. I really don't want to let you in. But also, like, you are dying. Do doctors really take... Is that a thing? Or is that just a, bo- a TV show thing? Like, is there really it's a, a Hippocratic oath? No, there's like, a real... Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing. On a, on a, they swear on, a, like, a caduceus, and then they go, I will I will always <laughs> protect people. Like, is that really what happens? Yeah, it's, it's a real thing. Uh, I don't know when it happens, but I think it happens at graduation. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, they're, they're you know that's their duty. Interesting. They got to. I always thought that people. was a. I always thought that was a Hollywood deal. The hypocrite, kind of like kind of like the how in like police shows, there's all this like there's like the one phone call and like everything. Oh, always, yep, yep, yep. There's very strict order, and but in real life, you're like none of that actually is going to happen to you if you ever get arrested. <laughs> I thought it was one of those things. Like oh well, you know they say that doctors take this oath, but. Uh, but yeah, so Tim, uh, Tim Riggs, uh, he, he's like, we get a, at first I thought he was going to be like the main character of the book, you know, like I thought it was going to be, he's, he has to take care of these kids until the bitter end, but, Mm -hmm. um, that very quickly became obviously irrelevant (laughs) to me. I was like, oh, I was like, oh, never mind. Cause basically what happens is Tim lets the, the hungry man into the cabin all the kids are like they get woken up and we get like a fun little like um, <laughs> the, the the first scene with all the kids like wake up in their bunks and like get fucking make fun of each other for a whole chapter. Do you ever see that movie Heavyweights with uh, oh, I love heavyweights. I was just talking about heavyweights <laughs> with my brother yesterday. Dude, heavyweights. I all I could think of when I was reading that chapter was when they go like chipmunks download and they like fucking stick all their meat sticks and m&ms in all the hiding crevices of their bunk <laughs> <laughs> which is also you know it would have been great for the people in this book because having all those extra snacks really would have helped them wouldn't have gone very far but, but it, it would have been good for it about a second would have stalled yeah would have stalled another day or two in the book um but yeah so the kids all get woken up and we get like a cool brief little introduction and we kind of broke it down earlier all the characters basically fit into sort of a stereotype you know they they all get their little like archetype ca- characters right but at like eric what you had you what you had said uh, was that the nick carter does a really good job of expanding on them later like he kind of lays out like oh this is the nerd this is the jock this is the creepy but a- as the book goes on you 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 get more characterization from them from their via their flashbacks and i think that's a great way to do it like set up the archetypes and let us know where like sort of like the the the, what the lay of the land is and then give us the 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 extra bits as we go i think that's a great way to do it. i gotta i gotta put a 
uh, a flag in the ground here on this specific instance because the way that he goes about describing all of these kids to us initially is via scent because the scoutmaster is like, yeah, boys all have a different scent and they slot into these categories. And that's how they kind of like break them down into their like little things. <laughs> and I found that to be so unappealing. I was like, oh no. <laughs> You should not have any of these kids' sense memorized. Maybe if you have one stinky kid and, like, maybe Tim. one ultra-clean kid, but outside of that, you, I, I'm uncomforted by the fact that this man knows all of these kids' smells. Right. Tot- you know what? But that's, a, but that's a perfect way to do it, too, because it, it makes you uncomfortable right away, even though this is the guy that you're, like, supposed to be depending on, because he's the only adult with them, right? So Yes, this is our Gibraltar. Al- this is our rock. He's, <laughs> he has already trained you to be like, this is our main guy. He's the adult here. We should all trust him. And then he immediately offsets that by being like, well, now he knows what all the kids smell like. And you're like, well... <laughs> I don't find any uh, other parts of his character to be like, oh, this is problematic. But there was just something off-putting where I was like, stop talking to me about boy smells. I hate the phrase. Right, but I loved that though. I because I, it's because it's one of those things. Like you know, he, I think for all intents and purposes, Tim Riggs is like a a, a, a regular guy. He's like a good guy. He just for some reason that's how his brain, you know, connected this. Is it creepy? Absolutely. But, but he's know, a doctor, so that have, happens. Sometimes people have just like a, you know, you can, it's possible to be a totally normal functioning person and have like one creepy thing you think about. I'm sure everybody does. <laughs> and, and, and I think that highlighting it though and introducing the characters that way is like, is is putting you in like a perfect uncanny valley, like as a reader. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't like, I'm already like, even though I'm supposed to feel comfortable here, I don't. And what a great, what a great device. Like, he, that, I think he, he's really, this guy's got horror. Like, he knows what he's doing. Even in, like, these these quiet early moments before it really sets in, you know. And we'll we'll talk about what happens then. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah. So, we int- get introduced to the kids and how they smell. Um, and the hungry man, you know, um, is just looking for food. And Tim's like, ah, you know, I'll, I'll give you food. And eventually, like, um, it, it coalesces to a sort of confrontation where the the hungry man just, like, vomits algae into Tim's face. Um, and if we know anything, it, we already kind of know this is a disease tale. So <laughs> right away, we're like, well, all right, Tim's fucked, I guess. Bye, Tim. <laughs> nice knowing character? you. Yeah, nice right? meeting it's you, Tim. It's so it's so funny because Tim spends multiple chapters being like, maybe I'm not sick. And then you're like, no, Tim, you're <laughs> no. done. Give me a new character. I don't think I've ever uh, seen anyone got vomited like in in media gets vomited on their face and doesn't end up dead. Yeah, we'd have to do some research on that one, but I think you're right. Um, oh, drag me to hell. No, she ends up dead. Oh, I guess she ends up dead. She most definitively ends up dead. Yeah, so so essentially what we come to learn um, as the, the book goes on, Tim sort of sends the kids out for a while to do like a... He's like, oh, don't ignore the dying man in the room. Yeah, he tries to kind of put a divide between the kids and the weird dying man situation. He's like, you guys go out into the woods follow this trail and go do all the things you're supposed to do for your merit badge. Take this walkie talkie. I have a walkie talkie. We'll get all this stuff sorted out and we'll be back to our camping trip. 
they don't get back to their camping trip. Right. Well, they, well, they do come back. The kids go out, and there's a there's a fun little you know adventure where we get introduced to more of the dynamics of the kids. Um, and there, there's a lot of really good writing that goes on. Um, you know, we get introduced to how like so Ephraim is like this real angry like loner kid, but he's best friends with Max. Um, and he's only angry because like his he's like. His dad is like a convicted felon and he's like a violent criminal and he's like angry because he probably as somebody who also inherited I I I I identified with Ephraim a lot because I inherited anger issues from my father and so like I understand being mad about being mad because your dad sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a um, tough one. Yeah. So, like, I, you know, I, I identified with him a lot. Um, but then you have, like, Kent, who's just, like, so confident because he's got, like, cop dad, you know? And his cop dad was like, well, th- this is what being a man is, and this is what's right, and this is what's wrong. And Kent's like, well, I'm king shit, right? I think that's literally, like, a quote that they use in the book is, like, Kent's like, I'm king shit. <laughs> yeah, king shit of Poop Mountain. Yeah, and... Um, you just get like a lot of really good like kid interaction that again some people seem to find their dialogue with each other stilted and maybe unnatural but i thought it felt pretty good i think it's just so impossibly difficult to capture the chaos of what it's like to be in a group of five boys who are all trying to communicate over one another right because when you're you know when you're a kid like everybody's talking all the time most of the time everyone's screaming you know it's like how do you write that you can't you can't possibly directly mimic it and make it like a good thing to read yeah like you have to do some dramatization and i think he does a really good job um while the kids are out like uh, that's when like tim starts to do like he basically comes to the conclusion that this dude is like dying and whatever like He's so hungry because, like, again, we have to remind you guys that, like, the way they describe this dude is he's, like, one step away from skeleton. Yeah. Essentially, zero fat, zero muscle, skin and bones, like, throw him in a hole. He's done. Yeah. Like, this is, like, an evil dead creature we're dealing with here. Um, and he's just so hungry. And the, I, I loved the way we set up the dread right away. Once uh, Tim got, like, the vomit in his mouth, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't even say anything about it. But the, the next morning, the kids wake up and, like, all they're, they're, one of the kids notices that, like, three hot dog bun bags are in the trash. Yeah, Scoutmaster Tim been eaten. Yeah, and it's, like, such a good little, like, oh, the kids wouldn't really make anything of it. They just notice it and be like, oh, that's where where'd those hot dog buns go. But they, they don't know what we know is that, like, there's a scary hunger disease coming your way, you know. But I loved the way they, they, they do that he did that, where you're, from the kids' perspective, they're not too worried about it, but we automatically are like, oh, Tim. Yeah, and then things go really downhill for Tim. I think he says he loses, like, 25 pounds within, like, the first hours. day. Oh, it's the first 12 yeah. hours? Good God. Yeah. Yeah, he loses, I think it might be more than that that he says. So it may, it immediately makes, like, the situation so dire because you're like, oh, shit. If we're losing this much weight in this small amount of time, this disease is going, it is just, is just going ham. Yeah, and, accelerating. And, like, if all... 
Yeah. It, it, so it's it's absolutely crazy. And so Tim eventually realizes you get a couple chapters from his point of view where he he's sort of like he's in denial at first and then he's like comes to accept it, but like only barely. But he's like, all right, I got to I got to cut this guy open, mostly because he's dying and I want to save him still because I don't know, Hippocratic Oath or whatever. And he's like, I'm trying to save this guy, but also in the back of my mind, I'm really trying to save me and maybe the kids, but mostly me, but also the kids. <laughs> um, and and so once the kids get back, he like takes Max, who is our our like sort of straight man in this story um, and goes, hey, I need you to help me because Max's dad is like the local coroner. And also part-time taxidermist because it's that kind of island where it's like you have to do both. I'm surprised he wasn't also the dentist. <laughs> Doctor Barber electrician. <laughs> exactly. It's one of those one of those types of islands. It's like a fucking midnight mass over here. And uh, so he, he has Max come in and assist with like this live autopsy where he's like, we got to cut this guy open and do something to try and save him. And this is where, I, I, you know, did you think this was, I thought this was a big reveal, but did you, were you surprised by this reveal? I mean, we, we've already kind of revealed it based on the intro of this episode. There were but. some very specific verbs used in the uh, the first few chapters that made me think that it was a, uh... guys, if you didn't know, it's a parasite. It's a parasite. Uh, um... I hadn't already... <laughs> But yeah, there's there's there are some things that were said along the way that made me go, oh, this is a parasite. But um, when it when it happened, when it when they're doing this kind of like live autopsy on this guy and the parasite like kind of wiggles its head out of this guy's stomach and like looks around and sniffs the air. I was like, oh, these are not normal parasites. This is big time. They say this ain't your daddy's tapeworm. If you guys can recall um, my best friend's exorcist, there was like an eight-foot tapeworm that crawled out of a girl's mouth and like floated its way across the room after it got like bit by the dog. Exactly. That's it's, the type of parasite we're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, they're enormous. They're big and there's lots of them. Yeah, when we talked about my best friend's exorcism, me and Eric were both like, that's not how tapeworms work. But it was it was spooky and f- and fun to watch. But in this book, that that is the, how this worm works. Like this, it was actually accurate to this book. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is super gross. It's not like your mom's tapeworms. These ain't normal tapeworms. We find out yeah, later so- on in the book that these have been genetically developed uh, initially as a diet tapeworm with a kind where you take them in a pill form and then you take another pill to get rid of the, you know, worm infestation once you've hit your desired, you know, weight or whatever. But along the way of developing these tapeworms, the uh, scientists in charge realize that, oh, we can make these way worse and sell them to governments as a weapon. I kind of, I kind of read it I, I read it as if – so there was basically two scientists that were, like, ultimately working on it. So the main one is Dr. Clive Edgerton. I don't have the name for the his sort of, like, subordinate that they interview a lot during the, the chapters. Um, I kind of read it as he sort of pitched it as a diet 
pill for rich people, but ultimately because he's such like a chaos scientist that he was always in it. Like, Oh, you think that was all his intent from the get go? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily for money, whether it's from rich people dieting or the military. I think it was always, he wanted to see how murderous he could make these worms. Mm hmm. Just because he he's one of those just like chaos scientists who's like all about coulda and not about shoulda, you know? Yeah. Like, can I do yeah. this? A and, real and Doctor Eggman. Like, yeah, a real a real uh, Doctor Wiley or Doctor Eggman. We know we know them. You know, we've seen, he's he's got a crazy mustache. We know for sure. Whether they describe it or not, we know that things go in in seventy different angles. <laughs> Um, uh, but yeah, we find out that it's a worm. This is a worm. This is it's a, a worm. Big bad worm, and it's super gross. Uh, worm yeah, details. It's, it's like uh, he calls it like a height. It's called like a hydatid, which is like a variation of tapeworm, like most common in, in like dogs and and uh, animals like that. Um, but in this this version of the of the of the tapeworm or the hydatid. It, it it they they break it down again in one of the articles later that like basically it it spawn the the one worm will spawn like constantly be spawning eggs and new worms but it forms like two like different types there's like the conqueror worm and like the devourer worm and like the devourer worms only like exist to like like eat and drain people so they can feed the one main worm. Yeah, they just siphon. They just siphon the body down to nothing, so that way. And they can... re- and they reproduce like fucking instantly. Like it's just constant. Yeah. Like, if you like get one cells. worm in you, yeah, you get one worm in you. You got all the worms in you. And they're everywhere. And they, yo, they're oh, dude, they're those yeah, ones are all over the place. They're waterborne. They're they're and they're airborne. Like because there's a point where, so so we see when when Tim and Max are like cutting up the guy, the 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 first encounter with the worms, the worm like sort of like, you know, like squirts <laughs> out and it's like and it's huge, right? Like I, I I didn't really have a good idea. I think in my brain, it it it, it I imagined it a lot bigger than it probably actually was described as, but even then, any anything really coming out of you that's like relative to a garden hose is probably huge, you know. Yeah, it's about the size of a. It's about the 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 width of a garden hose, but it's uh it's all coiled up in his guts. The one that yeah. sneaks out is our dist- uh our conqueror worm, right? The conqueror worm does this gross thing where it like tries to like sniff the air and it like spits out these little like worm spores all over the place. It like just pukes them out all over. It goes like it like spits worm like eggs into the air and hopes that they land on something that they can like worm their way inside of. I guess no pun intended. It's it's so gross. And the way he writes it, it's so icky and it's so scary. Cause like, how do you get away from this? Right? You do not. This whole scenario, I'm like, oh, it's bad. 
there's there's really no way around it especially like in the isolation of this island it's just so very bad the 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 smaller worms the other worms the devourer worms spread all all throughout your body under your fingernails and your eyeballs and your teeth whatever it can get to it's gonna get there while the Mm. conqueror worm is specifically designed to stay in your guts as long as possible and get Mm. as big as it possibly can so then it can leave the body and propagate the species yeah and get as far as it can to hopefully find something else like oh how terrifying oh i hate it um And so that's what we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with this, like, scenario where, like, even, like, the smallest mistake can get you infected because, like, you know, these things, again, are, like, airborne. You can get them from touching something that's infected. Like, you know, it's, it's, it seems he, Nick Cutter does a great job of making it seem, like, avoidable, but also unavoidable at the same time. Like, avoidable if you know what's happening, but unavoidable if you're a bunch of, like, 10-year-olds, right? Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, like, <laughs> immediately set yourself into this, like, defensive mode of, like, okay, we don't know how it's being spread, so we have to assume that anything could spread it, and that just instills, like, an insane amount of paranoia, and let me tell you, paranoia, isolation, and a bunch of boys does not go well. Dude, yeah, no, it doesn't because basically that's a recipe for disaster. Is, so, so basically, the the what we get from here on out is eventually the the kids realize that like Tim is infected, and um, big old bad boy Kent um, decides to take charge, and because by this point in time, Tim Riggs is like maybe fifty pounds. Like, because he's been Away being devoured alive for, like, yeah. Like, he's been being devoured alive by worms for, like, two days. So, he's, like, nothing. So, they all, like, toss him into a closet and duct tape him into it. Um, And at the same time, a uh, big, like, storm is brewing. But another thing that adds to the dread of this is the kids um, notice that this entire island is suddenly surrounded by what what even the kids can identify as like navy ships <laughs> military vessels but not like near the coast they're like off the coast far, of the town far. they're nowhere near the yeah. island yeah but so basically you you as the reader understand like that oh clearly there's military surrounding this island the kids know that like something's not right and, and it, it's like you feel like scared for them because it's like a very familiar feeling of like knowing that something is off. You might you can't identify it necessarily, but like you know something's wrong and it's bad. And that's like and and there's like this unknown like sort of terror that that is that, and then combined with the sort of known terror of like murder worms that are like in the cabin that you're supposed to be and not in. just murder worms general survival because they and have survival. no way of getting off the island the boat that the hungry man came in is uh pretty much broken until the end of the book right. when they find spark plugs right but- and they they're they're 
they took a ferry that won't come back until like the end of the weekend because there is supposed to be some sort of crazy storm rolling in. So now so, they're, like, they're stuck there and they know that. And it's so it's so terrifying. But yeah, so basically, you know, the book goes through a a series of events that leads to so um a- after they like capture Tim in the and put their only adult into the closet just out of just pure like hubris um kent big big tough jock kent like takes a swig of of the the whiskey that that tim had been drinking which naturally now is filled with worms womp womp and so womp womp kent gets infected and we get this like what i actually i i think kent's story might be one of the most terrifying ones because it's it's like his whole arc is going from absolute confidence to just like absolute desperation so fast yeah like eating bugs desperation like just yeah like dirt and twigs whatever it's like when you're a kid you know where you have that like you know every kid sort of has that like i'm invincible sort of mentality but like i can't say for sure because i was not a jock when i was growing up but i would imagine that like the the jocks of the world you get like a, a a another couple layers of invincibility like applied to your psyche, right? I Where you're I, like, gr- oh, I grew king. up with kids who may literally have been invincible at the time. I've seen <laughs> those guys like you know run through drywall and shit like that, like just uh, seemingly superhuman feats of resilience. And I'm like, damn, you're twelve. Yeah, and watching him go from the 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 top the king of the hill to just becoming just like a like fucking golem essentially <laughs> like he, he yeah full, he goes 100%. he goes full schmiegel like he's he's eating bugs in the basement and he's like i'm just so hungry to the point where like we actually learned that like the the which is one of the creepiest things these uh the the conqueror worm um were like worms its way it's it sort of like crawls its way up your spine into your brain stem and then can start to make you see things that aren't real in order to propagate itself because like there's scenes where kent when he's in like full final stages of like worm infestation where he they're, they're the lines are like you know we cut back to to kent's point of view and he's like I'm invincible. Like Kent is the strongest he's ever been. And he's like ready to like kill all the the campers and be like, take charge and then run, like run across the water back to the mainland. And then, and then it cuts back to the point of view of the other kids. And Kent is just like a skeleton, just like slowly crawling his way across the floor, doing like nothing. And it's like, Oh, it's so scary, dude. Like just like how this thing can even make you see the world differently and in and, and, and for the sole purpose of just getting it, it like just feeding itself like. just more just the more that's the the only the only purpose that it has is more more everything more worms more food more people more so like kent gets infected um ephraim like has a confrontation where him where he like fucking punches the shit out of him because he's just because Ephraim and everybody but Ephraim especially because he's the angry kid is like so sick of Kent's bullshit that he like punches the fuck out of him and like so hard that he cuts his own knuckles right and then there's like a whole arc where now Ephraim and um this is like 
exacerbated by serial killer in the making Shelly. Um, Shelly is like, oh, hey, I think I saw something crawl into your knuckles after you beat him up. And it's never like explicitly stated, but I think it's probably safe to assume that Ephraim is not sick at any point during the uh, during the story. But he becomes so paranoid that he gets to the point where he lets Shelly trick him into like cutting himself open to try and like pull the worms out of him that he thinks oh, are there. He's slicing himself all over because he thinks he sees all these things wriggling Ugh. in him. So he starts cutting himself open to try and pull the worms out. Oh, yeah, and he's like not even not even just cutting himself, but like reaching into the cuts and trying to grab stuff. Ugh. To the point where eventually he is convinced to douse himself in kerosene and light himself on fire to burn away the worms. And it's just like that that might be the one point where I was like, well, I don't know if I'd be that desperate. That's where I'd go back to <sighs> being like, well, maybe they can live with me. <laughs> you know, I would I don't think I'd ever burn myself alive. But yeah, but, it, I, but you know, just, but I appreciate the so you know fucked up. Yeah, I appreciate the 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 depths of horror that this that Nick Cutter is willing to subject to his children in his story. You know, that's the other thing. I love an author who's not afraid to kill these kids. Yeah, oh, and he's not, dude. These kids go. Um, because then after that, like you know, because we get a lot of we we get an interesting series of chapters with Shelley, who is. Like, again, he's the creepy kid. And like I just said, he's a budding sociopath. He's a murderer. Like, he's a serial killer in the making. He's already a sociopath. Um, He is the and, kid that every mom warns you about. He's the kid who's picking, yeah. you know, the wings off a fly, who's lighting Literally. a mouse on fire <laughs> for fun. Like, just, like... How many chapters did we have to hear about how he loved, like, squishing bugs' eyeballs? Yeah, it was it was one of those things I noticed like early on. I'm like, okay, so he's that kid who like yeah, has to like hurt <laughs> like bugs and little animals. Like, all right, he's that kid, and then he very quickly like graduates to oh, I'm a killer. I like yeah to hurt things. I like to manipulate people. He uses mm-hmm. his like psychopathic and sociopathic traits to manipulate the situation, not even necessarily in his favor, but just to entertain himself. Like 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 we said before, he convinces the kid to slice himself open and light himself on fire. Like he later on convinces one of the kids that he's bringing them food. Meanwhile, he's bringing them like dead bugs and scraps of like garbage for them to eat yeah because he, he's playing with he plays with kent a lot and, and says like oh i'll bring you food and he even like says like oh here i got you some noodles and it's just the the worms from the the dead worms from the scout master and he makes the kid eat them more worms gross and it's yeah more worms Oof. yeah so he's he we get a lot we get a chapter where he Ugh, where he describes like how he killed his family cat like by just drowning it in the bathtub while his mom was like out doing errands and it's like All right, repeatedly well. not once repeatedly yeah, <laughs> yeah repeatedly and yeah so the the though those are the, that those are the moments in the book that are like pretty brutal like that's the first um of a couple animal cruelty moments there's another animal cruelty moment where we it's from it's actually outside of the context of the of the island 
where the doctor, Dr. Edgerton, has placed a worm inside, a conqueror worm inside of a chimpanzee. And it's sort of like an hour by hour, even like a half hour by half hour, like breakdown of the, the chimpanzees. Like, Just beh- updates behavior. of the 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 downfall of this chimpanzee. It's it's very analytical. It's very scientific. It's very clinical. Yeah, it's clear cut. It's so, it's, it's so but um, it's sterile. so horrifying. Yeah, sterile. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it's a it's a horrifying sterile analysis of like this complete just annihilation of this creature and it really feels terrible <laughs> eric like messaged me he was like oof the chimpanzee scene yeah the chimpanzee scene was super super gross it was tough to get through yeah but but not as rough as the turtle scene which oh, was the turtle so so after um so basically uh much farther after max and so max and max and newt end up being like our actual two main two main characters so newt being the nerd um who is also really interesting because like he he's like he's a nerdy kid but he like um spends his time at home like living vicariously through an online profile he created it's catfish he's just a catfish kid he's catfishing but he's using the 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 photos of his cousin who died because he was like a, a his cousin was like popular and funny and like attractive. He's a Chad. His cousin's was, a fucking but was, Chad. But he was so <laughs> stupid that he fell asleep in a field and then a like tiller drove over him and splattered <laughs> him all over the, the farmland. <laughs> what does he say? He's like, yeah, he tried to get up and run away in time, but he, he, but he couldn't, couldn't outrun the tiller because enough. it's 80 feet of blades. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, what a horror story that that alone is like a short horror story by itself. Close casket. Uh, dead, dead. But so Newt uses his dead cousin's profile to like catfish people to like, you know, feel better about himself. Um, and then. Uh, so so Newt's our one main character. Max is the other. Max, again, being the the son of the, the local coroner. And kind of like the guy who's he doesn't really have anything particularly to like identify as you can't be like oh he's this stereotype you know he's just like no he's just a very very even keel normal pretty average boy yeah Um, I I I think uh, Newt going back to like the you know thing with his cousin Newt uses this kind of situation almost in a way to experiment maybe not not even super consciously like as an initiative but he is consulting in himself throughout the book like okay what would my cousin do what would my yeah. cousin do because he uses him as kind of I, like I, his guiding yeah. light because he's not particularly happy with himself obviously so he's trying right. to kind of role play what his cousin would do to be effectual in this situation yeah i think he like names the profile like alex masters or something and he does like wwamd like what would alex masters do like in this situation and he does that like multiple times in the book but he does but to to great effect because i mean honestly the situation would have gone to shit even faster if it wasn't for Newt, the only one yeah. who's doing anything in this book. 
He's like the, I mean, I, I, like he's the nerdy kid, but like he's he's the only effective character who, who's like doing anything productive at any given moment. Like Ephraim is like busy, like having a complete mental breakdown, you know, which I totally understand because I've had, I have, <laughs> I have health anxiety. I, I basically go through Ephraim's story arc like every other week. <laughs> I'm full of worms. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm like up uh, that again. Uh, that's why this intro didn't work because I went to YouTube and went nope. <laughs> um, you know, like so nobody like Kent's Kent's an asshole. He gets infected immediately. Ephraim's a psychopath. Like Max is just like I don't know what do we do. And so Ephraim or, or Newt is the only one who's like really doing anything proactive. Um, to the point where Max and Newt end up being like after Ephraim dies because he dashes himself in kerosene and <laughs> lights himself on fire, um, and Newt is scutter scuttling around the the island being a crazy person, um, and Shelley. Ephraim is just or, or, yeah, or, or Shelley yeah sorry Shelley is scuttling around the island and then Kent is infected and he's just in a basement somewhere where they locked him. Um, so we end up only really having Max and Newt uh, to to interact with for a while, and that's where they they kind of have to kick on their survival instincts, and this is where we get the sad turtle scene, right? Because that's where they they find Super a turtle depressing. who who's caught in a tide pool, and they go, "Well, we have to eat. Maybe like this is our chance to get some food. We'll get this turtle," and they sort of like do this sad scene where they drag this turtle again trigger warning they drag this turtle like out of the tide pool and like they, they, the two of these kids are just dragging this giant sea turtle like onto the beach where they like try to just like stab it and kill it but like it 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 just won't they can't do it efficiently because they're kids they don't know really what they're doing and also they don't and, know how to field dress a right. turtle and so they're just trying to like kill the shit out of it and it the turtle is like screaming and just trying to get away and these kids are crying because they're like we don't want to fucking do this anymore we just want to go home and it's it's probably one of the saddest things i've ever read in my life it 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 took me back to like reading where the red fern grows yes oh so oh because God. it's just like this animal in complete agony and the kids are like we don't want to do this either and then they end up not even being able to bring themselves to eat the turtle yeah because of how poorly yeah. this execution goes and they oh. bury it in the sand and then they're like all right well i guess that's that they're sitting on the sand for a couple minutes and they start hearing these cheeping noises and they realize mm. that the turtle got stuck in the tide pool because it had gone up and laid its eggs on the beach. So now these eggs are hatching and they at least make like the the effort to go, all right, all of these turtles are getting in the ocean. We fucked up. We need to it, we need to surrogate these mm -hmm. fucking turtles to safety. Yeah, and it's actually one of the most like one of the more beautiful things I've read in a long time because it's like so it, you, you go from like a scene of such brutality to and like just sad to like such a like hopeful scene you know where these two kids and these two kids are not friends like even by the end of the book they're not really friends but they 
they start off, you know, Newt's not definitely not anyone's friend, but like the I, I love seeing the sort of like respect for Newt that that Max gains. Like as he observes, he's like, oh shit, this kid is like eventually he comes to terms with himself and goes, Oh, you know, who cares if he likes nerdy shit? Like he's the only one here who's like capable. Yeah, like, I, I this, is, like this new- is one of those kind of dynamics where I definitely recognized, you know, parts of my experience being in the scouts because like you know you're in a group of like 30 kids and like you don't really like get to spend one-on-one time with all of them and then you know there could be a weird kid that you get paired with one day and all of a sudden they're like you're like oh this kid's not as bad as everyone else makes them seem like this kid's only as bad as everyone making fun of him is like this kid's actually like pretty chill kind of normal like i could get along with this guy like outside of this setting but you're just so used to that person getting like torn apart in the group dynamic that you're like yeah fuck that guy he's a loser yeah and just like like this this like slow little story arc between max and and newt i i found like really nice and really believable and it just like it 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 really pulls you through the rest of the novel it just it, he it, nick cutter does a really good job of of like make just making these two kids like you really want them to 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 pull through the other kids you're like yeah they're crazy and one's mean what one's crazy i mean at that point there's so few kids early. left that you're just like please can these two please get out of this yeah right exactly so then eventually, you know, they, they determine, like, uh, I I think Max is like, oh, hey, turns out I remember when I was doing that autopsy uh, on the hungry guy with Scoutmaster that, like, I think those were spark plugs in his stomach. The ones, like, he probably ate them when he got off the boat, and that's why the boat doesn't have spark plugs. But I remember seeing them in there, which was a little far fetched, I think, but like not so far that I'm like, ah, I'm out of the book, you know, like I was like, OK, whatever, because he did make a point. If you tell me that guy's guts are full of like springs and screws and other things he stripped yeah. off of, like spark plugs aren't just like on top of the motor where you can chomp on them. Like you got to open that bitch right? up and like <laughs> find them. Um also, just to go back again to the to that turtle scene, just a little bit. The, he, Nick Cutter does have a. I, I I don't have the whole quote, but you know he. To paraphrase, he does like a really good job of. He has this like little little tiny um like sort of mini monologue about how, like Max is thinking about how. Like, living creatures will just do like they'll just do anything to survive. Oh you know? yeah, like and. And it's like it's it's like a really powerfully written how they how they don't know that, when to die, like yeah. no matter what, like the desperation will push you forward even when like there's mm-hmm. no there's zero hope, and that he wishes like the turtle would just know that it's over and the turtle would die. Mm-hmm. They have that kind of scenario like a lot of people in similar situations find themselves where they resort to an act of you know like violence and execution and they realize like oh it's not like the tv in the movies you don't just stab a guy and he dies 
you have to stab right, a turtle yeah. 45 times in the chest and then it might still be wheezing like it might still be alive because mm-hmm. all life is fighting to you know remain yeah, alive right. yeah and i just i loved that little passage that he did it was like it was it was it was intense um it's cool. I think it, it, it was really nice because it highlighted the hope like within the kids and the turtle and like everything as a whole, but also mm-hmm. highlighted the terror of like the worm problem because they are doing the exact same thing. Like th- if their only goal and mission in life is to suck a human dry and die, they are still continuing to, you know, fulfill that life and that goal regardless of whether or not it like you know kills them yeah yeah it's it's scary um but yeah so eventually like they, they they determine they have to go find spark plugs and they they do they go and they find them they dig they rifle through the guy's guts and they find him and then they go and they do a weird thing where they just dry them out on a rock and then fall asleep and then they wake up and they're not there and then the kids have to like go well all right who could possibly have taken them and i'm like well there's only one option left guys um because uh in a separate scene um shelly had uh, drowned Kent. He like dragged like the the skeleton of Kent out into the water, and was like, "Oh, now that I'm now that I'm free to do what I want on this island, because I don't think I'm ever getting out of here. Because look at those military ships off the coast." Um, yeah, he goes, he, he realizes there are no repercussions. <laughs> yeah, so he just goes, "Well, let's see what it. You know, I drowned a cat once, and that was great. What's it going to be like to drown Kent?" And so he drowns Kent. And then, like, as he's drowning him, Kent's, like, head explodes and worms, like, because he's drowning him in the ocean. Like, he's, Shelly's, like, waist deep in the ocean. And worms, like, pour out of Kent's head. And there's a really gross description about how, like, Shelly is, like, so, like, horny for murdering. Oh, that's it. There's a lot of talk about this kid Shelly's penis. Uh, Just an insane amount of talk of this kid's, like junk rubbing up against his jeans oh yeah he's which highlights his man. depravity but like i yep. oh man it was gross i was just like that, oh this is the boy, fifth time we've touched on this subject in this chapter yep that boy likes to kill him um and he's so horny for murder that while he's drowning kent he doesn't realize the literal sea foam of worms that has poured out of his skull that, again, talk about his penis, proceed to swarm around him and swim up his penis. <laughs> Every orifice available, these worms are in it, they're on it, about it. Yeah, and so Shelly becomes, like, instantly, like, level 100 infected, right? Because, like, all yeah. the other people in this book sort of, like, get the slow buildup. But Shelly becomes, he goes, like, one to a million like infected in like instantly because so many worms get inside of him so like, like you why? know you know in dune how <laughs> he becomes the worm yeah well in yes. this the worm becomes shelly yeah it really is uh it's it's pretty disgusting and the the he does a great job of like saying like 
like writing out the weird noises that Shelly makes and like for yeah. some reason I I very vividly could like hear those noises the way he wrote them yeah i'm telling you just, he's got a good just, job of like yeah sense experience writing yeah he he wrote it very vividly for me and i was very disturbed by that scene um so like shelly's level one million infected by worms um and he has now stolen the spark plugs because he's scrambling around the island trying to do more murder um and the kids go to sleep they wake up they're not there so they go oh we have to find him and they are able to use their like scout techniques to like track him like through the island and find that he's in this like cave that um, is like a perfect setting for like a f- final confrontation for a horror movie. Uh, they go down there and they even light a flare, so that means in your head everything is like red, brightly lit in red, and it means like if you were streaming this as a movie, you're stream would like look like garbage because they can't handle red and you'd be like what's happening um and you, you so they go in and like they go they find the spark plugs just kind of laid out in the middle of this like opening in this cave and like they he describes how like newt turns around and shelly like unfolds himself like fucking jack skeleton in the beginning of nightmare before christmas like goes, <laughs> And he's just, like, nothing but bones and, like, a huge distended stomach. And, you know, there's, like, a big confrontation. And eventually the kids are about to get out. But then, like, Newt gets grabbed by uh, Shelly. And Shelly's stomach bursts open. And Newt just gets covered in worms. And guess what? I think they swim up his pee hole, too. (laughs) I think, I think we get two pee hole swimmers in this book. Um, and so, unfortunately, the kid who I thought was going to survive, I thought, you know, but I should have known better. He's too, he was too, uh, he's, he's just piggy. He's our, he's our Lord of the Flies piggy stand in. You, you had to know yeah, he, he was getting clobbered by a boulder I, or something. I know. I just thought maybe he'd make it, but he was too proficient at his job and he took the hit from Max. He gets infected. Um, Max eventually goes back to go get the spark plugs um, that they left there because they just ran out in horror. Um, and, like, Shelly is still just, like, a dead skeleton. Um, but the spark plugs are, like, in the middle of, like, a pool. And as he goes to grab them, you get, like, a really cool description of a scene where the worms sort of, like, coalesce together and create, like, a big giant worm to try and, like, crawl at uh, Max. And it's just, like, so... These worms are so scary, dude. Yeah, yeah. He he gets out. He makes his way back uh, to to Newt. They take the boat and they sail out as far as they can. And then you you want to? Oh yeah, they get the intercepted. The, the blockade on the island kind of advances towards them, and they you know they're stopped by a military ship, and they're trying to wave down the ship, and unfortunately. Unfortunately, Newt, Newt, Newt says, I'm so hungry. I'm so oh, hungry. I loved that. And Newt takes a fucking shot right to the head. One of these snipers on the boat takes him out. We find out later that this, the, all of the military personnel have been uh, briefed with a specific set of, like, kind of keywords or, like, trigger words. And if any of the 
people come off oh, the yeah. island saying it that they well, are like if they say the word they, hungry um, yeah if yeah <laughs> dead which is like a total catch 22 because they've been on the island for like days by themselves of course they're gonna be fucking hungry there's like well, no way out of it no yeah so yeah they fucking light him up like a christmas tree he's dead and then they take max and max gets put into like uh pretty much like a glass cell for like the rest of his life because they can't determine whether or not he has worms or not it's not the rest of his life i think it's like what like 10 years or something 12 years uh, i don't know if they give a specific amount of time but he does get released um and and so the end of the book is once max is finally released he um i think the final like line sort of adds up to he sails back to falstaff island where this all took place um because he has a desperate hunger and like that's how the and that's how the book ends is like max is hungry and so obviously he's not like infected by these worms because like i don't think that's what the book's trying to say you know because uh, yeah like, I, like, obviously he wouldn't have been able to leave um which brings us so that's the end of the book and i think it's a great ending um so that brings us to one thing i want to talk about which is the like what do you think the theme of the book is I think it's pretty easy. You know, I think you and I have both watched some videos that like touch on it. Yeah, I I kind of come to the conclusion um, prior to, but I did watch uh, someone talking about it where they very kind of plainly stated like all of the kids who go to the island, pretty much all negative ways, self-actualize while they're there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Other than Newt, who who is like, oh, like I'm self actualizing to be a braver, more forward, outgoing, and forward outgoing, person. positive person. Unfortunately, as a result, it makes him more risk uh, prone because he's taking more risks and he's you know trying to be more adventurous and brave and strong, and that doesn't pan out particularly well from him. But all of the other, you know, kids in the story are, like, learning something about themselves. And it ultimately leads to their demise. And Max does not. Max leaves the island without really attaining that kind of, like... He doesn't have any change. Yeah, he doesn't... It doesn't doesn't alter him on a, like, core level. Like, obviously, it fucks him up. It gives him a ton of trauma to deal with. But he doesn't mm-hmm. seem to self-actualize in any way. So I think that hunger is him, you know, trying to figure out, like, why did all of them change and I didn't change? Right, exactly. Yeah, I, I think we watched the same video, um, and I think that's the perfect way to put it. So this book is a definitely – it's a coming-of-age book. Um, it's about finding yourself. It's about self-actualization. Um, you know, all the characters, like Ephraim struggles with, like, anger – um, he's worried about becoming his father the whole book. Um, he takes control of his fate, you know, by like he goes, well, I, you know, this this thing that's inside of me, wh- like whether I'm sure it's there or not, destroying like, me. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to take control and and end it literally in, in the case of this book, um, you know, she- you know, Shelley 
finally gets to let go of his inhibitions um, and, and just gets to become the killer that is like degenerate little freak time. murderer. You know, Kent Kent has been always been like a cocky, headstrong guy. Um, so he was already kind of like self actualized by that point. But he does get taken down a peg, which is nice to see. You know, well, the problem because, is like, that he <laughs> he comes into his own by putting the 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 scoutmaster like kind of to rest. He he's he the one him. who goes <laughs> yeah. out of his way to be like, we need to quarantine this motherfucker and kill him. Like, we need to get rid of this guy because he's gonna he's gonna be a problem for us. And then right. he and becomes the leader. What, yeah, and it, yeah, it, as it a result, he screws himself over uh, with the victory drink. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. So Max is the only character who doesn't have any fundamental change over the course of the book. And I yeah, I, I agree. I think that's what that you know the book ends with him going back to the island because he's hungry, and it's because he he didn't get out of it what everybody else did um for which for better personally i think it's for better i think you know what if you didn't get what those guys got that's fine go go do yeah, some but, other life changing experience <laughs> that doesn't involve agreed, like, like go play a game or something dead children play, just play some Fortnite or whatever like get over it um sign up for no, a game I show actually, <laughs> I actually do think that it's a, a beautiful and sort of like haunting way to end that though. Yeah. Could you imagine like, being one of those really... townspeople and you see him like rent a boat oh. and then you're like, where are you going, bro? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> uh, I know. Right. Um, after they leave the Island, the military fucking like just oh destroys it. They like napalm strike it like four or five times. Like literally they Go out yes. and find napalm to use on this island, mm-hmm. which they re- reference as being very hard to source. And and they uh, they pour a bunch of chemicals into the surrounding water that like kills everything: the algae, the plants, the marine life. Just they just fucking yeah. barren wasteland. The water. Yep. It, which is I don't know if that's is that actually something. It has to be something that's possible to do. But have we ever actually done that in like? I can't. I don't know of any. I don't know of any off the top of my head, but I'm sure we have enough terrible chemicals to put in the water that just kills shit. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we do it to pools. Why not? You know, yeah, just bigger scale. But, but yeah, the, it, I, I actually really like that that um, scene where they describe how just like scorched earth they go on this island. Um, but uh, I guess one final thing I have to say is I think that. The worms and Shelly are like a perfect symbiotic villain for this story. Yeah. Um, like I think Shelly is a is the way he wrote him it is exactly what this story needed. And it they're they're like so like Shelly, he he's such a great villain um for this particular like creature, like to 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 go side and side by side with um because like Shelly's already sort of like living with a worm inside him like he's like a normal kid you know maybe he's a little odd uh but he's like a regular kid on the outside but like just underneath like there's literally a killer like wriggling around beneath the surface like making him hungrier and hungrier to act out like these deep-seated fucking murderous impulses and once he becomes infected with the worms he becomes like Final form freezer Shelly. <laughs> uh, 
and and is able to like become like this ultimate devourer and i think it's like it, it was such a poetic way to like bring both of those like storylines together yeah and, it, and I, I, mean, like, I i absolutely loved it there's lots of comparisons between the worm and shelly you can draw because like you think about the way the worm works it like you know goes inside and it like hangs out deep dark in your guts and stays there and mm-hmm. festers and shelly does the same thing like socially within the group he's like looking for these little fractures in like the social uh norms Dynamics, of the group and yeah. he's like fracking them and then <laughs> you know he'll slowly like kind of slink away into the darkness and then come back and you know essentially feed and grow from the resulting trauma of him fucking shit up like yeah and he's it like this just, dormant you know, little cell within their little group that just you know mm-hmm. blooms out into this terrible terrible killing machine it's such a good one for one with like serial killers like it's it was so I, I think well illustrated and it wasn't like overt you know you did have to like maybe like sit back for like a minute and like think about the comparison like it, it just like it it didn't ever feel forced you know it gave you food for thought it was a very yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> and it needs a lot of food but that's um, the troop but that's the troop great great story great book uh hopefully you read it and even if you listen to us talk about it all this time hopefully you still go read it because it's worth it even if you know exactly what happens because the the pros we couldn't even come close to aside from me the couple of passages i directly read like i we can't we can't do it justice it really is a a a brilliantly written book uh i hope you check it out i hope you like it uh that being said um we have uh we here at the devil's cut have an announcement right for the upcoming yes uh, we have a very interesting little parasite growing within us uh we're going to Oh, a little worm of our own. We uh, talked about it a little bit on uh, the Children of the Corn episode, uh, but we did a little bit more digging, and we've come to the realization that Amityville Horror has probably the most sequels, official and unofficial, of any franchise I've ever heard of unofficially they have 16 (laughs) movies to the amityville uh lore and officially Mm -hmm. they have like nine so what we are what we are uh announcing you know tentatively announcing announcing right like announcing we're we're announcing so 2023 is gonna the summer of 2023 is going to be amityville summer uh, for June, July, and August, we're going to be doing an episode each month uh, where we're going to re- cover and discuss three of the Amityville movies uh, in succession uh, with a possible uh, end of summer, September release where we do a bonus episode talking about some of our favorite non-official Amityville movies. I mean, as, they really uh, run the gamut. Amityville from- Wolf? Amityville oh. Werewolf? Amityville in space who knows but that is some summer fun you have to look forward to we're gonna be uh slipping those episodes in throughout (laughs) the different months of the summer and uh I think we might be having uh, a guest or two along the way to 
uh, endure the Amityville onslaught? Yeah, I think it's something they're going to have to suffer through. But, you know, it'll be fun for everybody involved, especially you listeners. Uh, and I, I think that's it for now. We can go on to our final cuts. Um, I don't know. Is there a is there a sound effect for the final cut transition or you just kind of let it roll? No, we just final cut. OK, final cut. No sound effect. Sorry, guys. Um, do you have uh, you have anything in particular you wanted to? I do. There's been lots of talk surrounding um, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise because I guess they just dropped some new documentary. uh, And the question was brought to, you know, Robert Englund again on whether or not he'll be reprising Freddy. let Let him rest. (laughs) <laughs> he's he's been saying it for years now. I feel like he's been saying it for close to a decade, but he's too old, he's too stiff, he's too thick. That's it. That's his phrasing. <laughs> he's he's too thick. Too old, too stiff, too sick. Love and uh he, he this has kind of prompted within the horror sphere a uh slew of, you know, fan castings of people kind of being like, "Oh, I want this guy and I want that guy. I want this person to be Freddy." And I personally, I don't usually go for fan casting. I think it's really cringy. Uh, it's usually a bunch of just poorly associated, like, it girls of that week being applied yeah. to whatever role. Sure, Boy and girl. And uh, I, But I did happen to notice within all of this Friday the 13th talk that Devin Sawa. Oh, yeah, excuse me. Nightmare on Elm Street. But Devin Sawa had thrown his hat in the ring via Twitter. Uh, re- Devin Sawa from Idle Hands. <laughs> he's he's throwing himself in the ring for uh, he's throwing the towel or throwing he, his hat in. He said he would be uh, very interested in giving it a shot, and I was like, I don't know if I hate the idea, but I I did not expect that to come out of left field. That is a that is quite a left field uh, play. Do you, so. Do you have a? Uh, did you have anybody in particular? Again, you said you don't like the fan casting, but did you? No, have I didn't have mind? anyone specifically Nobody. in mind. But now you're thinking Devin. But Sonic. now it just yeah, it got my brain moving. I'm like, could he do it though? Like that's a big. Those are big uh, sweaters to fill. That's a lot of charisma you got to bring to yeah. that role. Big gloves. Um, yeah, it's tough. The big I, I don't know if I. Yeah, you know what I? So I had you posted about this on the Discord earlier, um, uh, and my first instinct, I was like, if I, you know, what actors do I know that I think would like fit based on what I've seen them perform in, you know, what I think would be able to do it. And I could only really my f- gut instinct, which is something that would never ever happen, and also it is kind of your like it girl sort of thing that annoys you. Let me guess before you say it: is it the guy who plays Terrifier, Art no. the Clown? Okay, okay, no, no. Because I, I, I saw somebody, that one get thrown on a lot. No, no, somebody who I think has like the um, comedic and dramatic chops. They could really hit all and the highest of high and lowest of low notes. I think we should call in Brian Cranston to be 
to be uh, <laughs> I think we need Walter White in. Bring, bring Walter White in. Oh. I think he could do it. He's oh, funny fuck. as shit. <laughs> and we know he's funny as shit. But he's also got any other vibe you need him to hit, that dude's capable of hitting it. And you know what? We need to give him a role that isn't just Walter White again. That is that is some big firepower for the uh, the Nightmare franchise. That'd be interesting. On the spot, you, man, that was a pretty good pull. He's got a build that fits. He's not too scrawny. He's not too thick. You know, he's got he's kind of got that middle aged uh, guy who worked at a preschool kind of body. <laughs> What's his name in Malcolm uh, in the Middle? Stu. I don't remember. Malcolm Stu. Senior. Um, but I'm telling you, man. Like he only gets cast as because, like, right now he's starring in a that show, Your Honor, which is just Breaking Bad but with lawyers instead of <laughs> like <laughs> in instead of. Uh, meth dealers and it's like he just keeps getting cast in these same roles over and over because they only know him now Hollywood only knows him as the Breaking Bad guy but I'm seeing what he can do and I'm trying to apply it to you know like because uh, Freddy Krueger needs to be funny right? Hal his name is Hal is thank you Hal but yeah Freddy Krueger needs to be funny so we but, so we know he can do that separate of any Breaking Bad you know yeah. involvement like we oh, I can, I, I can definitely see it. I, the more we talk about it, I, it's, it's I you, you know, some gears are turning. I think Hollywood needs to explore this more because that's my pick. That He's my – the more I think I've convinced myself. I was apprehensive about bringing it up to you. But now that, I, now that I've gone through the, through the loop, I, I'm, I've convinced myself, and this is, my, this is my idea. He should be the next figure. <laughs> What about you? What kind of final cuts you got? Because I'm about to pee my pants. All right. Uh, real quick for me, um, nothing too crazy. Uh, I've died now that I, after reading The Troop, I, I'm back into uh, reading horror novels. I've kind of recommitted to my endeavor of reading all the Stephen King books in publication order. Right now, I am on his first uh, short story collection, The Night Shift. And it is going very well. It is the collection that contains Boogeyman, which is a movie that will be coming out relatively soon, which we will be covering future ep. Stay tuned. Um, I haven't read that particular story yet, but I look forward to it. But I got to say, um, the first uh, half of the book, very good. There's like a spooky story about rats that I think that Guillermo del Toro show ripped directly from. Um I just finished reading a particular story called I Am the Doorway about a guy who um, travels to Venus on a deep space exploration program and comes back and starts growing little eyeballs on the palms of his hands that seem to be making him do things he doesn't want to do. And that was very creepy for me, and I did not like it. I liked it, but I did not like it. Um, So as... Um, well, the palms and the tips and the back, all over his hands. Lots of eyes all over his hands. Which eyes is on the hands. Just Ooh. terrifying. Difficult to uh, hold things. Well, you know, he, he grows them on his hands, and then he's convinced that they made him murder somebody. And so to save the world, because he thinks the aliens uh, are controlling him through his hands, he lights them on fire um, and burns the eyeballs off. But then at the end of the story... 
he tells us that, well, that was all a long time ago, but it's okay. My hands are burnt, but I can still use them to put the gun in my mouth because uh, oh. I'm going to be ending it. He goes, because I'm going to be ending it because last week um, 12 eyeballs grew uh, in a circle on my chest, so I'm going to end it. <laughs> oh, that's a very good Stephen King uh, Twilight oh, Zone kind of ending. It's it is right, isn't it? So so Stephen King, so Twilight Zone. But uh, more, almost all the stories in that book are like that. Uh, very good. It's because it's an er, it's early, early, early King stuff. Which you know we should we didn't mention too much. But if you like Stephen King specifically, early Stephen King, uh, the troop definitely will will scratch that itch. So another reason to go back and read that. But otherwise, that's it for me. Uh, I that's think that's it another for me. successful. Another successful episode of The Devil's Cut. Thank you for joining us. Um, as always, you can check the links in the description to s- follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram. You can catch us streaming every Monday and Thursday on Twitch. Right now we're working through Resident Evil. Uh, right now we're doing Resident Evil 4, but we're working our way through the series. We also will we plan on playing all sorts of other horror games. And again, like follow subscribe leave us reviews um email us message us on twitter if there's something you want us to talk about if there's any topic in in everyone's favorite genre that you want to hear us discuss we're probably open to talking about it so reach out we'd love send to us some book fans. some book suggestions we'd like to do some more book episodes you know we're trying to sure. branch out from the movies and the you know the visual mediums so let us know And uh, with that, uh, everybody just uh, keep on creeping it real. We'll catch you next time on The Devil's Cut.